When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Michael Walker, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. So glad to have you. Oh, snap. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Last week, Michael interviewed me for Modern Musicians and very excited to meet you and a big shout out to Mr. Michael Elsner, Jody Friedman and... Ari, welcome. That's correct. My yeah. wife uh, has this joke. She thinks it's the best joke ever. And it, it makes me go every time is that she's... You know what? Ari's her name is some Joe. Get it? Joe, welcome. Hey, your wife's got a great sense of humor. I love it. <laughs> Listen, if it wasn't for those three guys, we wouldn't be connected. So that's why I want to give a shout out to them. And of course, all of our mutual friends and so forth. But I have a lot to ask you and I don't want to keep you too long. So we're going to get right to it. Typically, I start off a career musician podcast by saying, when did the music bug first bite you? When did you know? And I want to hear about that, but I want to hear like the short, concise version because there's so much other great info that we have to get to the listeners. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yep. So the start, so the question is, when did I start making music? It's the short version, yeah. the abridged version. Yeah, I started playing piano when I was six years old. My parents bribed me with video games. That's why I played when I was six years old. The only reason I started touring out of high school, toured for about 10 years full time, and then got married, started family, and transitioned from tra traveling, being gone most of the year, to staying at home, coaching. And I was kind of like a basketball player, I became a coach. And now my main role is helping other artists to be able to build a successful music career. And it's a lot of fun. So it's definitely a different stage of my life. And uh, still like a coach, I'm always going to love the game. I'm still, I'm still making music, but my main role now is just shifted. And I have a ton of, ton of fulfillment that's come from releasing the ripple effects that other artists are making and being able to contribute towards that. Okay. So yeah, the guys told me that you're very tall, right? Yeah, taller than apparently the because the camera faces down. Usually when I meet people, they're like, "Wait, what?" Because they were expecting I was good that I was shorter than I look, but I'm about six foot, six foot five. Six five. Okay, so that's that explains the whole basketball thing. Was it just from a young age? You're like, "Whoa, I might as well play ball." <laughs> you mean being a coach? <laughs> you would think so. You would think so. I will say there's a reason that I became a musician and not a basketball player. And it wasn't because I was incredibly good at sports. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. My daughter is doing both right now, basketball and music. She's actually wow. playing guitar. And it's interesting because I know a lot of musicians who have that kind of dichotomy of, oh, which do I do, sports or music? And That was our guitarist. Yeah. He was fantastic at basketball and he would sneak away. <laughs> He'd sneak away from basketball practice to practice with our band. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Awesome. All right, I love it. So tell us about your band because you guys had some mega success and that kind of brought you to this next chapter that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the band, we started at high school and learned really quickly that it's not enough to just be able to book the shows and book the tour, but you actually have to get people to come out to the shows and the first tour that we booked, I remember playing a bunch of shows where it was just the bartender in the back of the room. And at the time we were sleeping in our van in Walmart parking lots. I remember going into Walmart, getting a big stack of flour tortillas, a big jar of peanut butter. And that was breakfast, lunch and dinner for us was peanut butter tortillas. And then our lead singer had an idea that we've come to call tour hacking. And tour hacking in a nutshell was... 
we noticed that some of our favorite bands like All Time Low, Made a Parade, Blink-182, they had millions of fans and they would go out on tour and play shows for thousands of people a night. Mm. And for the shows, they'd have these huge lines of fans waiting outside on the side of the road. And these people would be like camped out on blankets and sometimes would be waiting for six or seven hours just to get a good seat in the show. And so we thought, what if we walk up to those people and share some of our music and use that as a way to build an audience? And so we started doing that and we had six of us in the band and we split up into groups of two. And so there's three different groups following three different tours around the country Wow. And we would walk up to these fans waiting in lines for shows. And I was a super shy, awkward kid. And doing this didn't come natural to me at all. I remember shaking and stuttering as I walked up to people. But what we found was that strategy worked incredibly well. And we sold 24,000 CDs in about six months doing that, starting from scratch. And because of that, we got the opportunity to connect with one of the headlining bands, All Time Low, and they gave us the opportunity to open for them on their next tour. And then you can bet that we didn't stop doing it. We were still, for every single show, we would be out there meeting everyone in lines for the shows. And I think we made probably two or three times more before the shows in terms of merch sales than we made during the show itself. And we just, a lot of times when you play a show and you're opening for a much bigger band, people don't know who you are. They don't really care that much about the opening band, but we were meeting every single person and building a relationship. And, and that sort of sparked an independent career where we toured for about 10 years full time. We never signed to a record label. We didn't ever have a man- manager. We were independent. But we ended up releasing an album that hit number two on iTunes as an alternative rock album. I got about 24 million Spotify streams. And for an independent band, something that we felt really proud of because it wasn't easy. At the beginning, like we hustled our butts off and we crawled over broken glass to, to figure out everything that didn't work for us. And we got made fun of early on. I remember getting called uh, Paradise Queers in high school instead of Paradise Fears. Like I really, back then that was like a bigger insult, like, but, but yeah, we did that for about 10 years. We toured with a lot of our favorite bands I grew up listening to and about 10 years into it, that was right around when I got married to the love of my life and started thinking about starting a family. And at the time I was gone most of the year and looking for a way to provide for them without relying on the live shows, which back then we really we really relied on the grassroots marketing and playing live shows. And honestly, a lot of the stuff that we teach now, a lot of the stuff that I've learned in the past five years are things that didn't even exist when we were starting or things that really I learned through my mentors in the last five years and through launching Modern Musician. So Modern Musician has grown to a team of about 35 team members now who are coaching and helping artists by getting on -on one-on-one sessions and helping them launch their music and build marketing campaigns and build an audience. And that's become something way bigger than I could have imagined when we were just starting out. And and I really, I've had a few moments where I've realized, man, Modern Musician is really what I personally needed when we were first getting started out and I was struggling so hard and wondering, am I good enough? Can I really do this? And who am I to to think that this is a possibility? And it's a pretty humbling experience to recognize that, yeah, that we can help people who are in that same stage. Man, okay. There's so much information there to unpack. Okay, because I want to go kind of line by line because I love how... First, I'm going to start backwards. So I, the first thing is, I love the, the reflection of, wow, this is what I needed when I was starting out in my career. And that was really, it sounds like that was the impetus of you doing, creating this platform, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I can identify with that because that's exactly why I created the career musician. Now, What's interesting is the career musician focuses mostly on musicians who play for other artists who are playing for them in the studio or going on tour with them, playing on albums, doing production and composing and things like that, like the musician side of it as an entity itself. The modern musician focuses more on the artist, 
which I love as well, because both sides, right, within this realm need attention and they need guides and they need mentors and coaching. So my point is now you had this band of six musicians, you said, right? Yep. And you guys put together this band. It's all original. And then you had the tenacity. Yes, I will say tenacity to go out there and follow other bands on tour. And then here's another question for you. When you said you would give them music, how would you do it? Was it a download card? Was it a QR code? Was it a yeah. CD itself? Or yep, good, great question. And yeah, when we first did this about like 10 years ago, and so obviously digital mediums have changed, and nowadays it's mostly streaming. Back then, everyone was listening on iTunes stores. So people would either like LimeWire download stuff or they'd download stuff on the iTunes store. And people weren't really listening to CDs anymore. But what we found worked best was when we were tour hacking, we had some headphones with some clips of our songs and we made 20, 30 second clips of the songs with some of the most compelling moments. And sometimes I would vibe a group based on the conversation. What are they most likely to enjoy? I might even ask them, like, are you more a fan of this? Are you in the mood for this type of song or this song? And I would play them the clip based on that. And so we had these like $10 pair of headphones. They were these Sony headphones. I'm pretty sure you can order them on Amazon now, but they're not designed to do this, but you can break them apart. So the two different heads of the earphones, like the left and the right side can be their own thing. And then two people can listen at once. And that was a breakthrough. It was like, wow, we can talk to twice as many people at the same time. And interestingly enough, we tried it with a speaker. And it didn't work as well as when we had the pri like the private headphones where two people could listen at once. There's something about there's magical about having two people listening at once, a shared experience with each other, and being able to have a conversation with everyone else in the group while they're listening. I uh, just worked really well. And so we would share the music that way. And then if they liked it, we'd ask, did you like it? Did you hate it? Oh, we loved it. And in nine, 99 times out of 100, they'd say, this was great. Like, where can we listen to more? Yes. If you guys liked it, if you're interested, I've got this backpack full of CDs. This is called Yours Truly. And it was produced by some guys that produced All Time Low and Made a Parade. And there's 11 songs on it. If you liked what you just listened to, I think you'd really like the CD. If you have $10 on you, then we really appreciate your support. This goes towards us being able to invest in new music and going on tour. But to be honest, the reason I'm out here right now isn't because I'm trying to sell as many CDs as possible. It's because I'm really looking to connect with as many people as possible. And we'd like to go on tour with All Time Low someday. And so if you liked it and you want to support us, then normally the price is $10. But if you don't have $10 on you, I'm happy to give it to you for free. And that, that offer worked really well. And probably four out of five groups that I talked to, someone would get it at full price. And sometimes people even gave us, I remember getting a hundred dollar bill from someone just because of the fact that we were trying, that we were genuinely trying to connect with them and that we were, that we were willing to give them a CD for free. And sometimes we would do like a two for one type of deal or something, but that approach just felt really good. And it worked well when we were doing that. It, that's an incredible story. Okay, so if they, for some reason, the the one out of the five that maybe didn't get the CD or whatever, was there some other paraphernalia? Was there a little postcard or something, keychain, something that had your name on it and your a way to get a hold of you guys or follow? Yeah, so we had a notebook that we would have people put their email addresses on there, and. Funny enough, I remember after every show, we would drive to McDonald's that had some Wi-Fi and we would the three like we would pull out our laptops, go to Facebook.com, because back then Facebook was the main one that you'd want to use. And we would type in the emails and add them as friends, every single person that we had the email address for. And then we'd and then we would follow up and continue the conversation from there. So that that was a really powerful strategy too. Probably just as powerful, if not more, than that initial contact. So something to really emphasize or shine the light on here is the fact that human connection, human contact, that personal contact. And no matter where we go in the future, obviously technology is accelerating at a rate that we really can't even keep up with. It's hard to fathom at how quickly it's evolving, right? I believe even well into the future, after I'm gone and maybe our, these next few generations are gone, there's still going to be something about human connection. And I think that's what you guys hit on. 
Now, the way you did it, though, and this is the brilliance behind it, okay? The way you did it was you made it personal and you connected. And it's genuine. I could tell because you're just a nice guy. And I'm betting that if you're this way, the other five people in the band were cool and chill like you. So you connect. It's genuine. It's not disingenuous at all. But then you attacked it from a six-prong you know, purview with each band member, you guys basically set up your own mini corporation model, your own mini C-suite model, right? So how did you divvy up the work? Who did what and who's in charge? Because this is brilliant, man. This Most musicians, most creative people don't have that kind of business. Or yeah, that's a good question. And I know that this is something that a lot of bands have struggled with as at one point or the other is like, how do you divvy things up? Especially if there's one member who is the face of the band or has most responsibility. And then sometimes there are certain members who may or may not like really have the work, the time or like really be showing up in the same way. For us, I think we were really fortunate in the way that we we're all six of us. It was like, all for one and one for all. Like we were all in on the band and maybe that was because we all grew up and went to the same middle school and high school together in Vermilion, South Dakota, which has 2000 residents year round. So we all knew each other and we all were like best, well, we became best friends and knew each other from school and started playing the band. And when we started touring, like we always divvied everything up in terms of the band itself. It was its own entity and it was something that we all we gave everything that we had into the band for 10 years and that's part of the reason that it was such a, a challenging transition for me like when we stopped touring full-time and i was becoming a dad it was sort of like this new identity and i had lost the sense of identity or sense of self i think that had really come from the band being everything it was like all i really cared about for 10 years so yeah i think we were just fortunate in that way that we that we all came together that being said we all had our different skills and our strengths and weaknesses and different like responsibilities that we divvied up in in the band i would say my role in the band i i've always been someone who's loved technology and systems and automations and setting up some of the more technical things so i, I think that was where i could contribute was our ableton live sessions and our live tracks i would help with some of that with some of that setup i was I think the my one of my I don't know if weakness is the right word, but certainly it was like a, a symbiotic relationship. I think with our lead singer Sam is one of the most gifted people that I know. Especially, is very like charismatic. I would say, and was the perfect front man. Dude, the dude knows how to connect with an audience and be the front man, and has this charisma to him that's really special. And for me. It's interesting with modern musician. I feel like I've had to step into that, into being more of a front man with modern musician. But with the band, I was able to sink into at least like when we were performing, I would you'd be playing piano and I got to have my own little zone. And he just like thrived in the front man, in the spotlight. So I would say that I was more of a, I would be working on the system and the back end and the technical lift while Sam was a great charismatic sort of lead on stage and had some great stage presence. And, and then all of us had different, aside from our obvious roles of our instruments, right? Like we all play different instruments and that's how we contributed. All of us had different ways that we would, that we would contribute to the band. I love that. Once again, lots of things to discuss here to break down. Another thing that I hold dear to my heart as a philosophy is strengths and weaknesses I believe, now there's lots of di different ways to look at this, but I believe it's better to focus on your strengths and lean mm -hmm. into them and then study your weaknesses, work on those little by little, but really lean into your strengths. When you have a team of six and everybody's focusing on what they're naturally gifted at, like you said, that's powerful because mm -hmm. now you're six Xing whatever you're doing. And then like you said, when you're tour hacking, first of all, by the way, brilliant term, brilliant concept, brilliant method. When you're tour hacking now, instead of getting one person, so you're not, now you're getting 12. So now you're 12Xing your fan growth, right? And then you're 6Xing your behind the scenes internal development for your infrastructure. 
it just it, it just seems natural that you guys hit all of the milestones that you did and in honestly in relatively a very quick time once again brilliant so now take us to modern musician and how listeners other people other musicians other artists who really have the passion because we all know it's one thing to have passion it's another thing to put it into action right tell mm -hmm. us how they can get involved and learn from modern musician and uh, do some of the exact same concepts that you can. absolutely yeah so i started musician about five years ago now and <clears throat> to be honest when i first started it was out of necessity really for me like i was about to be a dad and that year of transitioning from touring full-time and figuring out what am i going to do next was one of the most challenging years of my life. And I, I, in some ways, I, I feel like I can relate it back to when we first started as musicians. And maybe people who are listening to this can relate to their, if they're starting out as a musician, that there's a, a certain amount of discovering who you are and what makes you unique and what's the value that you provide. And there's also a good amount of, you need to have a rock solid vision and belief in yourself to trump the uncertainty and the doubt that kind of comes up at the beginning. So I remember when I first started Modern Musician, I had a lot of stuff come up around who am I to teach other people or to coach? Who am I to be a mentor? Yeah, my band did some stuff, but I was just one member in the band and we've never taught anyone else this. And luckily I had my own mentors that I stumbled upon at the right time. And these are amazing, like some of the best human beings that I know. They have helped their students create coaching businesses and mentorship businesses that are, do upwards of a billion dollars in sales. And for me, when I first started Modern Musician, I knew I was kind of at this crossroads where I needed help. I needed guidance from someone who could, who had done what I was looking to do, which was to, to be able to create a coaching and an education business. And I remember investing $12,000 early on to join a coaching program for my mentors. And one of the first things that he asked me to do was to you know, do a deep dive and reflect on our own journey and our own path and what really made the difference for us. What could I teach? Mm -hmm. And so I was reflecting on it and you know, there's a few big things that I would say were the needle movers for us, but the one that stuck out for sure was tour hacking. And so I thought, okay, like maybe does tour hacking still work? Do people still buy CDs, waiting in lines for shows? And so I started coaching some artists one-on-one -on -one, and I would just get on a Zoom call and just have a conversation with them and answer their questions and, and give them guidance. And one of the first bands that I taught tour hacking to, there's two guys in the band and they went out and they went tour hacking and they made $11,000 in a single month doing it. And so I thought, awesome, like tour hacking still works. Everyone should go tour hacking. This is awesome. And I created a, a tour hacking workshop and it was like a three-day workshop where I basically just taught, here's start to finish, how you can how you can choose the right tour. How, here's your approach. Here's how you can do this successfully. And, and let me About 20,000. Sorry, yeah. let me just interject real quick. I forgot to ask this earlier. When you tour hack, you're literally getting in your own vehicle and following the band city to city, state to state, and so forth. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You have a little bit of a head start if you're playing your own tours, then you can still tour hack to, to your before your own shows. But this was how we started. It was actually following along other tours. Okay. Sorry. You were going to say something 20,000? Yeah, so about 20,000 musicians went through that tour hacking workshop. Wow. And what I found was that the ones who were willing to go out and do it got amazing results and we got great success stories. Yeah. But 98% of people who attended the workshop never went out, never did it. And they would tell me, Hey, this, I, I love the story. This is a great idea. It's, is there any way that I can do like that? I can grow my fan base without walking up to strangers in lines for shows and following tours around the country. You know, I've got a day job or family at home, or there's a global pandemic and there's not even shows happening right now. Exactly. Is there any way to do this online? And that was really what initiated 
I'd say like a quest over the past four years to really discover what are the ways that work best right now to be able to grow an audience online. And there's so many amazing tools available now to use the internet to be able to directly connect with the right people, with the right fans. But it doesn't just happen on its own. It's not if you build it, they will come. It doesn't work. There's so much content. There's so much stuff that you really need to be intentional, strategic about how do you find the people who are most likely to resonate with your music and actually build a relationship with them, start a conversation with them. Mm. And so we started experimenting and trying a lot of different strategies, everything from the Spotify playlisting to licensing to TikTok promotion. And the thing that stuck out out of every campaign that, that we had launched, and in the past year alone, we've invested over $730,000 to test out different traffic sources, different offers, see what's working right now. And the number one thing that we see getting the best results which is funny because it's very closely, it mirrors tour hacking. And I think why tour hacking works so well is the strategy that we call it virtual tour hacking. And we call it virtual tour hacking because it's basically the same foundation, the same idea as tour hacking, but done online. Yeah. And when we really break down tour hacking, why was tour hacking successful? Why did that strategy work so well? I think it's because one, we were talking to the right people, right? We were talking to fans who are actually waiting in line for a show. Like they've purchased a ticket. They spent money out of their pocket to go to a show. They got up off their butts and they went to support this artist. That's really rare. Maybe one in a hundred fans, someone who likes a, a band is actually going to go out and spend money and be at the show. So those people we were talking to were the right, the right fans, the ones who actually care. So I think that was one of the keys of tour hacking is that we were talking to the right people. Yeah. And two, I think the reason that it works so well is because it was based on building a genuine relationship and having a conversation that goes two ways with a fan. And there's something really special, I think, that happens. And look, when you're a superstar and you have millions and millions of fans, then it's not possible for you to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every single fan. But you'll hear from a lot of those ultra superstars, they got their start by having conversations with every single one of their fans starting out and really building a relationship and treating that relationship as special as it is. And really, so I think that the conversation, the back and forth conversation was so important and that's how you connect with someone. It's, it's how you understand someone is you need to have a back and forth conversation because if all you do is just talk, then you're not learning anything. You're not connecting with someone else. Like it's almost through asking questions, through asking good questions and listening right. is really where you can understand and build a, a relationship with someone. And so I think that's the other key to what made tour hacking work. And in a nutshell, the number one campaign that we launch for every every one of our clients that we work with is the virtual tour hacking campaign that's based on a messenger campaign. And so what that means is when someone clicks on this sponsored post on Instagram or Facebook, then it starts a conversation in their messenger inbox. And through that inbox, you can have a conversation, you can share a link to a song, and then you can go back and forth, you can ask questions, and you can get to know them. You can ask, what are some other artists you've been listening to lately? And what's your favorite song by that artist? Do you go to shows? And from there, you can get a better understanding of who are the fans who are resonating most with your music, who are the other artists they listen to. And you can, if you're really savvy with it, then you can keep track after you have a full offering. So we recommend building four different offers at different price points for your music, starting from anywhere between $5 to $50, $10 a month, or we have a, we call it your diamond offers, is something you can offer for over $1,000 for a single purchase. Wow. And what you can do is if you're keeping track of who are your most engaged fans and who are the ones who are actually opening your messages and streaming your songs and coming out to your shows and who are the ones who are actually purchasing the most from you, yeah. 
then you can feed that data back into YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and create a lookalike audience that basically looks at your highest value fans, the ones who are actually the most supportive, and it can create a lookalike audience of one to two million people that most closely match the characteristics of your most engaged fans. And so that's something that doesn't really exist with Tor hacking in person, right? Let's create an AI, artificial intelligence that's going to automatically match millions of fans based on the highest value. That's not something you really can do with Tor hacking, but it is how you differentiate between who are the highest value fans that that really get the most value from the from your music and from your conversations. So when you're virtually walking up to them to share your music, you're walking up to the right people who actually care. Okay, so let's break that down because that starts first with sponsored ads, correct? Which, right. Which yeah. the artist will pay for, okay? Mm -hmm. So you develop a budget. You say, hey, what can you feasibly afford on a consistent basis? First question, how long do you recommend they run those ads to try to get mm -hmm. traction? Yeah, great question. So my recommendation for launching your ads is to start with a minimum daily budget, which is a dollar a day. Okay. And that's going to allow you to launch the campaign and get your systems working, see that it's working for you before you start to really scale up and spend a bunch of money. And really, if you're going to be scaling and spending thousands of dollars a month, you got to make sure that for every dollar you're putting in, you're at least getting a dollar or more back. Yeah. And that doesn't happen unless you have a well-constructed funnel and what's your conversion rate of, for every, what's your cost to acquire a new fan? If you bring in a thousand new fans from your ads and you spent a thousand dollars to reach them, then your cost per fan was a dollar per fan. So that's your cost per acquisition. But then you also need to know how much, what's your value per acquisition? So if you brought in a thousand fans and each of those fans, let's say that you didn't have anything to offer them. You don't have anything to offer for sale. It's just streaming. Yeah. Then your value per fan is probably going to be a few pennies, right? You might, you might get three pennies per fan. So if you got three pennies per fan, then that'd be what? $10 for the thousand fans. Yeah. So you spent a thousand dollars to reach the thousand fans and you got paid $10. <laughs> it's not sustainable, no. right? Like it does, you, it, the economics don't work, yeah. but if you, just to keep it simple, let's say like you, you had a thousand dollar offer to make and out of those thousand fans, two people out of a thousand got the thousand dollar offer, then that would mean that your value per fan was $2 because you had a thousand fans and you get, you made $2,000. Mm -hmm. So now if you look at that equation, your cost per fan was a dollar, your value per fan was $2. And that's really, those are the core mechanics of what make a ad campaign profitable. And those are the only two numbers you need to know is what is it costing you to bring in a new fan? What are you earning per new fan? If you don't have anything to offer those fans, then you're earning very little. But if you have a certain amount of fans who will take you up on especially higher end offers that can really bump up your value per acquisition, which makes it sustainable. So to answer your second question, how long would I recommend running these for? Basically nonstop. If, you, if there's a there's an ATM that you put in a dollar and then it just gave you $2 back, then would you ever stop? But let's say that you could only put in a dollar a day. You'd probably like always make sure to be like, yeah, I'm going to keep on paying a dollar per day into that ATM because it, this is working. I will say there's a balance and there's a dance to how these ad campaigns work. It's not like, let's say that you're spending $100 a day and you're making $200 back per day. So you have about a 2X ROI on your ad spend. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you can say, okay, cool, I'm putting in a dollar and get $2 out. I'm just gonna throw in a million dollars into the engine and I'll get $2 million out. Pretty sweet, <laughs> that's how it worked. But you know, usually what's gonna happen is everything. if everything else stays the same, if all you do is just add a bunch of extra budget, yeah. then your cost per acquisition is going to go up because now you're starting to saturate the market. And so there is this balance and there's ways that you can 
strategically scale up your campaigns, usually it involves creating more effective ads that decrease your cost per acquisition so you can scale it up. But the point is, if you... Yeah, if you have a if you have an engine, if you have an ATM that's you put in dollars, getting you two dollars out, but you can only spend ten dollars a day, then yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't stop that until if you're starting to scale up and it's not profitable anymore, then you might want to start to scale it back down. Okay, L- love that. I want to recap on some notes for people listening. I hope you're taking notes. You need to be CPA cost per acquisition, VPA value per acquisition. Number two. You're going to keep running these ads. You're going to start at a dollar per day to get the kinks worked out. You want to make sure, like Michael said, your funnel is working. All of, what's a funnel if you don't know? It's basically how you're reaching out. You're grabbing people into your world. So it, that, it's like a funnel system. And you're funnily enough. Funnily <laughs> enough. And you're, Waiting for that joke to circle back around. <laughs> so I had to worry. And you're doing that by offering products. So don't just have streaming music. Have other products that you can add value to your, your fan with. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then there's all of that. Next question that's really weighing on me as an artist, because I'm not only a musician, but I'm also an artist. I have a band with my wife. Nomad and Lola, and we've done quite a bit in the way of publicity and PR, hiring a publicist, which was very expensive, by the way. We did all of our own organic social media, but this is the crux of the matter. If somebody buys your course, can they take all the information, ingest it, train with you or via your course, and then just go out and hit the market space and running? Or do they need to have an ongoing incubation system with modern musician that helps them develop and grow over a certain time? Yeah, great question. So the way that we set up our coaching program, so our flagship program is called Gold Artist Academy, and it's a three-month coaching program. Was it Gold Artist Academy? Yeah. And it is application only. We get between seven, 800 applications per month and we narrow it down to about 25 to 30 artists to work with based on their music, based on the way that they answer the application questions. But, but the reason on. that- But hold on, yeah. sorry, hold the phone. Just the <laughs> fact that you guys get seven, 800 applications a month, that's incredible. It's something that I always say, and I know this resonates with you guys and your philosophies, is that it's an incredible time to be a musician because there's so many opportunities, even though it may not seem like it from the outside, a lot of these opportunities are hidden. So, mm-hmm. sorry, seven, 800, that's a lot <laughs> per month. Yeah, and we, based on those applications in our team, we have 35 coaches, but we, with that program, we have a like a weekly one-on-one session that our coaches will hop on. And throughout the course of the three months, you meet with probably seven or eight different coaches that have different areas of expertise. So we have an artist identity coach, we have a fan magnet coach, we have a tribal accelerator coach, we have a revenue system coach, we have an automation machine coach. And they all focus on these different aspects of building these funnels and releasing a a profitable campaign. And there's different models for for serving artists or this would just be like a business thing in general but you know one of the types of offers there's three main different categories i would say of offers done for you done with you and do it yourself those are like the three different types of promotions that you could do done for you do it yourself or done with you and so done for you means that you're paying an agency that basically the benefit of done for you is that you don't have to touch anything. You just give someone some money and they're going to take the money and magically go promote your music and bring you more streams or followers or fans. Mm-hmm. And typically how these promotion strategies are going to work. And for anyone who's listening to this, who's, who's experienced through one of these, you might've had a similar experience. Worst case scenario, they're targeting purely fake followers, fake bots. So you might get 10,000 Instagram followers, but they're all fake people who aren't real fans, who don't really care, aren't going to come out to your shows or purchase anything from you. In which case, you know, the vanity metric side of it is, okay, cool. I've got 10,000 followers, but something doesn't feel right. And people can see through it. There's that worst case scenario. 
Best case scenario, I mean, more commonly, I would say what will happen is these companies might have an infrastructure where they can boost some of these numbers with valid streams. But as soon as the promotion stops, then your numbers plummet down to zero. And the reason is because you were missing the real connection. Like you aren't actually building a relationship with those fans. And so the way I look at your marketing, especially as a musician, is that there's some things that are too important to outsource, especially early on. And I think your marketing is one of those things. I've heard it described this way before that outsourcing your marketing is like outsourcing your marriage, right? There's some things that are so important that you want to, you want to maintain a close, authentic relationship with, like your relationship with your fan base, especially early on in your marketing is so important. And so that, that's how I look at it done for you, at least at the beginning. Because I, I also think that you as a musician, especially nowadays, you really need to understand these base level entrepreneurial skills, like marketing yourself, marketing your music is something that if you really want to make as big of an impact as possible and leverage your time and really do music all in, then I don't think the way to do that is by outsourcing and hoping someone else is going to come and promote your music and do it all for you. I think that the most successful artists, even the ones with record labels, are super smart and really good at marketing themselves. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah, yeah. The second type of promotion is do it yourself, right? So do it yourself, I think is a really valid form of promotion if you're starting out and you don't have money. Basically, if you're starting out with very limited financial resources, I think you have two different things you can invest to grow. And you need to invest something to grow. Look, like a plant, if you plant a seed, then it doesn't just grow on its own. Like you need to nurture it. You need to invest into that growing. And the plant, it grows and the fruit falls, but it takes time and it takes energy and it takes investment for it to grow. And there's two different types of investments that you can make. And this is like the fertilizer for the tree. You can invest your time or you can invest your money, right? Like those are like the two main things you can invest. And the people who have abundance, the people who are the wealthiest people that I know, all highly value their time and they'll invest money to save time because time is a precious resource. It doesn't come back. And we're all going to have that moment where we're on our deathbed looking back at everything that we're about to say we're about to leave behind. And oh my gosh, and I can only imagine, and I try to do this exercise at least once every year or so is really put myself in that place where I'm imagining, okay, I'm about to say goodbye to everyone and everything. I'm about to die. What's really important? What, and what am I holding myself back from? Because I'm afraid of doing this right now. And the truth is we never know how much time we really have. And we never know how much time the people we love around us have either. So it, it really puts things in perspective to know that time is incredibly precious. Our life is incredibly precious. And money is a resource that is a tool, but it's replenishable and it's not nearly as precious as time. That being said, if you're starting out, you don't have any money to invest, then all you have to invest is your time and is your energy. And so do it yourself. I think it's for you if you have an abundance of time, but you don't have an abundance of money to invest, right? Then 
and do it yourself and invest the time and the energy and hustle, make the most out of that time. Yeah, and start right, right here, yeah, yeah. Start, welcome to the internet. Yeah, have you heard of it? It has everything. It's like our human collective consciousness and information. And, and so you want to be very, time is still precious. So you make sure that you're investing it in the best way. But I would say one of the best investments of your time you can make early on is if you don't have money, invest your time and focus on making money early on because that investment's going to allow you to buy back your time. So look, money is not the end all be all, right? In fact, it's if you're living your life for money, then it's it ends up being very unfulfilling and very empty because money is just a symbol. It's just a tool. It represents value. It, rep it represents being able to do things with the money, but in and of itself, it literally means nothing. It's just an idea. And so money is so interesting. I think money is fascinating. It's like the, the idea of value in and of itself, like it's an amazing symbol, amazing tool, but it means nothing by itself. It's only what it does. And I do think that there, there is a breakthrough that I had personally. And I think that this is something hopefully that would, that can help anyone who's listening to this right now, because I think it's something musicians especially struggle with is the idea of making money and feeling maybe ashamed or feeling embarrassed or feeling like they almost, they want to ignore the fact that, or pretend like they don't need money or want to make money and think it's evil, like money is the root of all evil and have just this weird relationship with money because no one became a musician because they thought, what's going to be the easiest, fastest way to make as much money as possible? I know I'm going to make music. Going to There's finance. Yeah. And money again, isn't in and of itself, it is basically meaningless. It's only the meaning that we assign to it. But there was this breakthrough that, that I had personally when I realized that making money is actually a great thing. And the more money that I personally make, the more that I can invest back into focusing on things like recording higher quality music in a higher quality home studio, working with the people that I want to work with. And ultimately, the more that I bring in, the more value, the more that I can contribute, the more of an impact, the better role model I can be for my family and for the people that I'm serving. And there is like, that's a relationship that I think is really important for all of us to really get to process is our relationship with money and not seeing it as a bad thing or a negative thing, or like people who have money are evil. Oh, oh billionaires. Oh, yeah. These guys are evil. It's so funny that no. you say that because people like Gary Vee and all these other motivators of the modern era talk about that all the time. Don't hate the wealthy understand how they became wealthy. And if you have the right desires and the right motives, really, then mm -hmm. you can do it too and learn from them. Use it as an opportunity to learn. And I also want to say the root of all evil, that has been so misconstrued and mangled over, mm -hmm. over the centuries, really. It's, it's ridiculous how badly that phrase has become turned on its side. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think it's, that's definitely a fascinating conversation too. What is the root? What is the root of all evil? Um, <laughs> we, in our household, we have three kids for a while. They're three under the age of four. Xander just turned four years old, but we have this, this name for evil. <laughs> we call it the Uki Uki Gurger. And the Uki Uki Gurger represents Sometimes, usually how it'll come up in, in daily life is if one of the kids is having a tantrum or throwing a fit or something, like, oh, is, is there an uki uki gurger in there? They're like, yeah, there is. <laughs> okay, like, what do you say, Luke? Uki? I love you, uki uki gurger. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. Yeah, there's a Hawaiian, I forget what the name of this is, but there's these four statements that have this like therapeutic effect. It's, I love you. I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And repeating that, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And there's this like healing, uh, therapeutic sort of effect of those four uh, statements and cycle. 
And so we'll, when there's an ukukigurger, what do you say? The ukukigurger. I love you, ukukigurger. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me. Thank you. And that's great, man. And whenever we're watching movies, and there's always got to be an evil per, like thing or Jafar, there's evil like, in, in it. And the root of that evil, say, we're like, oh, he's got a, that's a big ukiuki gurger. And Xander will point he's like, daddy, it's a big ukiuki gurger. Yeah, it is. But, but yeah, I think at its root, the ukiuki gurger is just patterns of, of trauma or pain and just unprocessed, undigested pain, like generational trauma. And that we're all that we're all on this journey together. We're kind of healing from a lot of stuff that that we've gone through. You could say that a million times, generational trauma, and people don't even realize it. That This is fantastic Mm -hmm. that this interview has turned into somewhat of a philosophical slash psychological session, because this is great. It's a psychology session. This is fantastic. And you're absolutely right. More times than not, we don't even realize when our uki-uki-gurger is showing because Mm -hmm. of our own insecurities. So. Mm. 100%. Yeah, that was something that I've really come to appreciate is with the kids, when they become aware of their ukiuki gurger and recognize that they aren't the ukiuki, it's like they gain some perspective when they see it as something separate. Oh, like there is this ukiuki gurger and it's uh, tight and it's tense and it's, rah, but it's not, it's not me. It's not who I am. It's just, it's this energy. And yeah, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 